0: Well, we have a special treat this morning. We just had our annual diocesan synod where clergy and leaders um, from the Anglican Church uh, around this whole region uh, come together for a time of worship, a time of refreshing, a time of discipleship. And we met over at the cathedral this weekend. And one of the special guests there um, is a missionary with an organization called Gospel for Asia. His name's Brian Keurig. And his wife, Michelle... And the two of them were just uh, married by our bishop five weeks ago. So uh, both Brian and Michelle are missionaries through this organization, Gospel for Asia. And, um, and Bishop Neal said, uh, this guy's looking for a church to preach at on Sunday. I said, ooh, can you preach here? <laughs> it's always good to hear about what the Lord is up to around the globe. And uh, God is up to some amazing things through this ministry, Gospel for Asia. So can you come up here and I'll, I'll pray for you and bring the word for us. Father in heaven, I thank you for this brother and how he's been pouring out his life um, for the lost, for those who haven't heard the gospel in different parts and pockets of Asia, and for those uh, indigenous missionaries who are bringing your word to them. And uh, Father, we pray that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit, that he might speak the word you have for us through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. For
1: so, it's a blessing to be here with you. Um, as Dr. Uh, Taylor mentioned, I'm with uh, a mission organization known as, called Gospel for Asia. And uh, basically, our founder is a man by the name of K.P. O'Hannon. He was from India, came to the U.S., get a seminary education, and, and while he was here, he fell into the trap of the American dream. And, but then God broke his heart afresh for his people dying without the gospel because just the materialism here just basically sucked the spiritual life out of him. And so um, what he ended up doing was starting a mission organization called Gospel for Asia. But it was very different than any other organization at that time. Because rather than sending Westerners, what he did is he, um, he knew Asians who were giving their lives for the sake of the gospel. But they had no access to Western prayer or finances. And literally one of his friends was literally selling his blood in order to finance his ministry. You know, like This is how like, hardcore these guys were. And so, um, so started this support organ or this this organization. We're uh, coming alongside the indigenous people, so it's Indians reaching India Nepalese reaching Nepal, so on and so forth. And uh, that grew so rapidly that we um, we ended up having to form a church. And so that church is known as Believers Eastern Church. And uh, by God's grace, now um, we have over fifteen thousand congregations scattered throughout fourteen different Asian nations. And basically, it's 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 people who. Um, You know, missionaries, they're they're young men and women, typically, like a a lot of you. I was going to say like a lot of us, but Mm -hmm. I don't qualify for that anymore. (laughs) Um, But just going out to just tell people what Jesus did for them, because these places, they've never heard about Jesus before in their entire lives. Never even had access to the information um, about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so as a church... um, we're actually in the process of coming into communion with ACNA and Lord willing, GAFCON. I got to spend some time uh, with Peter in uh, in Jerusalem earlier this year, so that was at the GAFCON, um, I guess, conference. I guess that was really uh, a good time. So, um, so anyway, it's a blessing to to be here with you and uh, to share with you um, about all that God's doing. So, uh, you know, my going to share on the passages, but they did such a good job, I just feel like, you know, like, I don't know if I can add anything to that. that every week. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, one of my, uh, somebody I knew who taught people how to teach church said if you can teach to six-year-olds, you can teach to anybody. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I just got to see that. But with, um, you know, when we look at the Gospels, we, you know, there's actually some pretty, some pretty amazing things in these passages today, if you think about it. You know, that some of the stuff that John was talking about, just it's just devastating to think this guy shows up, and just says, oh, you're going to eat your last bit of food and then die? Why don't you give it to me instead? You know, like, oh, by the way, my name's Elijah. And, um, you know, it's just crazy. But Jesus, you know, we see Jesus do this similar thing where he just, he turns everything upside down all the time. You know, our God, our Savior, he's, he's a revolutionary. He, uh, you know, we have our ideas in this world of, of the way everything should work. And we have our plans and our thoughts and, and here's here's how God's gonna do this. And then Jesus actually steps into the picture and he goes, Okay, I'm glad you have your plans, I'm glad you think this is the way it's gonna work. Guess what? I'm gonna it's it's not like that at all. Mm. And so we we see also throughout scripture these these statements, you know, these authoritative, these powerful statements that you know if if God is you know is consistent with you know his character in Jesus. They also turn the tables. Now, the problem for us as human beings is we like our thoughts. We like our plans. I don't know if about you. i like you know, meet somebody, and, and they're, they're talking, telling me about something. They're thinking, I'm thinking, this guy is brilliant. He thinks exactly like I do. I love this guy. You know? and, um, and, but then we come across scripture, and we like like, that's not the way I want it to be. So for instance, in, in the book of Hebrews, there's this really powerful statement. And maybe we just glossed over, we didn't hear it. But there's a statement, you know, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, it's appointed once for man to die, and then comes judgment. In my experience in sharing the gospel with people, um, it, it seems like a lot of times the Lord brings me like the tough nuts. Like, you know, there's all these people who have all these intellectual reasons and arguments built up, and, and you spend all this time just dealing with all these arguments that they have. And basically what you fi- I find out most of the time is all those arguments that protect them from from the truth. That protect them because so often we want to be our own God. We want to have the final say. We don't like the idea that we're going to have to stand before someone else and they're going to open up a book and look at our lives and they're going to tell us what the verdict is. You know, there's a t- statistic that says, you know, um, you know, that death is probably likely, you know, for each one of us. Ten out of ten people die, right? Good statistic. You can't trust most statistics. That's a pretty good one. Um, but there's also another statistic is that ten out of ten people will stand before Jesus. Ten out of ten people will stand before the throne of God for him to say, you know, heaven or hell. And that's one of the reasons we don't like, you know, the whole idea of judgment because there is a heaven and there is a hell and we don't get to decide whether or not we go there, which one we go to. God makes that decision. And we don't like to talk about, you know, like, like in churches, it's one of the big things now is don't, don't talk about hell. Mm. We don't talk, people don't want to hear about it. So just don't talk about that because it makes people uncomfortable. Mm. I don't know about you, but Jesus was really good at making people uncomfortable. (laughs) And he talked about it. And so the thing is, is that, I mean, the good news. I mean, like you look at Romans chapter 10. Great news. Because it basically says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you wanted to get in heaven, you just have to put your faith in Jesus. Confess your sin. Turn from it. Believe in Jesus. Receive His righteousness receives salvation from him, and whoever calls upon his name for that will receive it, will get to spend eternity. You know, if you want Jesus as your God, he's what makes heaven heaven. And if you let him into your life now, guess what? you get to spend the rest of your life with him then. But if you reject him, guess what? If you don't want Jesus in your life now, that's fine. He won't won't intrude. He's he's unfortunately, and I think in some ways a gentleman, and that if you say, I don't want you, he's like, okay. But just realize that carries over.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But in Romans 10 and other parts of Scripture, there's, there's even more disturbing news, though. Because that, that passage, it says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It goes on to ask a series of rhetorical questions. It says, how can they believe in him, or how can they call upon him whom they've never believed in? How can they believe in him whom they've never heard of, how can they hear without a preacher, and how can they preach unless they be sent? And we have, we've built up this religious idea that there's two ways by which men can be saved. And this is another one of those disturbing things, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And, and the Apostle Peter you know, you know, back that up, scripture backs it up saying there's only one name under heaven by which man can be saved. But we have built this idea and this argument that there's two ways by which man can be saved. One is, is the name of Jesus and the other one is ignorance of the name of Jesus. If you never hear about Jesus, if you don't hear the gospel clearly, then surely you can be saved. And I've looked and I've looked and I've looked, I've gone through, and believe me, I wish with all my heart that that was the case. I wish that was in here. But the problem is, if that is, you know what, one of the worst things we could do yeah. is, is tell people about Jesus. Because then they're accountable to it. Mm-hmm. Then it, it's a gospel of condemnation as well as a gospel of righteousness, the gospel of salvation. And is clear that it's not a gospel of condemnation. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him it might be saved. And today on our planet, there are approximately two billion people still waiting for a Christian to come to their, their village, their town, their home for the very first time. And these people predominantly are in Asia. And if you work out the numbers and the, 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 the death rate and mortality rate and everything else like that, what that means Is that somewhere around 80,000 people will die today without ever hearing the gospel? That's horrible. And I think the natural response for us is to go, that can't be true. What kind of God would send people to hell like that? They've never had the chance. And I think we're supposed to have that response that goes, I don't like that. I don't like that. But the response that's supposed to well end up in us is. Oh, my God, how can I do something to change that? God has given his life for me. Jesus gave his life for me. He's brought me into eternal life. How do I share this free gift that was given to me? And the problem is, is that, you know, when Jesus talks about the, you know, he's sitting across from the treasury and he sees the rich people putting in their money. And I'm, I'm imagining, like, some of these people are probably dropping $1,000, you know, here. You know, they wanted to, you know, they would, the, the way it was actually set up, it was almost like a, Like a tuba, almost kind of setting, where if you put your money in, it would clang and make all this big noise. (laughs) And so, um, so people are probably dropping a lot of money in this thing, they can be impressive and all that stuff, and people feel righteous and everything else, feel good about themselves. And this little widow comes in and puts in these just two pennies, these two mites. It's all she had, and she this probably was not a one-off incident for her. Now the problem is that we, for us, is that we need to realize. We are those rich people. In the history of the world, we are one of the richest societies ever. And that's not as a condemnation to say, "Look, people are putting in, uh, you know, all this, and you're not putting in anything." That's to help us realize how difficult it is for us to put our everything into Christ's offering. Um, as I mentioned, we're nat- you know we're a national. Church. So, you know, we have, we have over like 50 seminaries throughout <laughs> Asia. We train our, our, our seminarians for three years and then, you know, they go out into the mission field. Like, we don't train people for theological, they're, they're trained for one purpose and that's to take the gospel mm-hmm. to places it's never been before. But when they go, our leaders in each seminary literally lay hands on them and they send them out what's called a one way ticket, meaning they literally tell them, Dig your grave outside of the village God's called you to and give your life if need be. Mm-hmm. And working in our, um, our church headquarters in southern India, you know, we have our hours of prayer, you know, our daily office. And we'd hear, you know, requests all the time, you know, uh, a missionary in such such a place was killed. Please pray for his family, his children that he left behind, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And, and one morning, I um, was sitting there and they said, um, person leading the, the time of prayer said, oh, we have so-and-so. Um, they just died last, last night. They were killed on the mission field. And silence just went, you know, throughout the, the room. And I didn't know what was going on. I began to look around, and all of a sudden tears started going down almost everybody's face. Because that was somebody we, they had sent out from that office a few months before I got there. And now I was with the Lord. And being beaten for the gospel is so, like, commonplace Sorry. over there. We had a, uh, one of my friends was asking one of our leaders, like, oh, so have you ever been beaten for preaching the gospel?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he looked at him like, well, like, what do you mean? He's like, well, have you ever been physically, you know, persecuted because of the express purpose of actually sharing Jesus with somebody? And he kind of looked at him, he's like, well, Yeah. You preach the gospel, you get beaten. And one of my friends, a super compassionate guy, went to you know actually went to lay down his life literally. His his there were some people coming to burn down his seminary, and he kissed his wife and children goodbye to go and die with the students in that seminary that night. And interesting story. It didn't it, the, the people who came were put off at the last moment? They weren't able to do it. But I, I, was, I was sharing, we're a, we're a missionary sponsorship organization, I and mean, like we, we encourage, like, if you are a child sponsorship, you can sponsor a child, and you can sponsor a missionary with us. And I had one of my missionary profiles, and I knew that that missionary was someone he oversaw. And I said, oh, do you know Soren? And he starts laughing. He goes, See, yeah, I know that guy. He's a super timid brother. I said, really? He said, yeah. He goes, he actually cried the first time he was beaten. Can you believe that? <laughs> And this is like an amazingly compassionate guy, but just think about this. Like, this is like so commonplace for them. Mm. Like, he's able to kind of laugh about this. And it's interesting, you know, we have our brothers and sisters in, there, in the white albs, and, and we adopted albs um, for our priests, like, as a regular, like, this is what they wear every day. And, um, you know, India's hot and dusty. And I had some of, two different of my friends who are leaders there come and, and, and say, you know, when we first adopted them, they said, I, I don't really like wearing this thing. It's like wearing an oven. They <laughs> <laughs> said, but it's amazing because when my missionaries get put in prison, they get put in jail. I said, when, I, when, I, when we used to not wear these things, it would take them like, take me like three days to convince the, the people that I was actually a priest. Hmm. And he said, now I walk in and I wear an alb, and I usually get them out in three hours. Absolutely love. Imagine, like, could you imagine, like, the vestry meeting here? Like, hey, should we wear albs or not? Well, why, what are the pluses and what are the minuses? You know, well, I think we can get our people out of prison more, you know, more quickly if we do, you know, if we wear albs. Okay, great. Yeah, that seems like a good, a good. Let's do that. And so, I mean, it's just it's a different world. But they go out. They do this because they know that death was the price that Jesus paid for them. And who are they not to follow their master? And, and I think for us is that, you know, there's a parable where Jesus talks about picking up your cross, denying yourself, and the cost of discipleship. And he talks about two different things. And one of them is, is a man who built a tower. And saying, before you build, basically saying, if you're going to build the tower, if you're going to give your life, you need to count the costs first. And see, make sure you have enough money to do it. And, he's, and and I think for us, a lot of times, we get this whole idea of counting the costs wrong. You know, looking at our two mites, we don't go, you know, what we look at is, well, do I want to give these two mites? Do I want to give this $100? I want to give this $1,000. It's all that I have. Do I want to or not? But really, what you know, the, the correct way what Jesus is after is if we have those two mites, we're able to look at that and go, this is, you know, or if, if we're like the, the widow with Elijah, we're able to go, this is my bread for today. But Jesus, this is what you asked me to give. And I count it a privilege. I count it an awesome privilege to give to you the last that I have. Mm-hmm. Because you are worthy. And I want to do this as an act of worship. I want to actually look and say, this is what it actually costs. And you, Jesus, are worth it. And I do it with joy. And it's amazing because like in our, what we get to see in the mission field, you know, it's like this widow in Zephathah, or however you say it, is You know, that she up in Sudan, you know, the Sudan area, where it's just amazing how God responds. When you do that, I mean, I had some personal testimonies of my own life, but I think, you know, the ones from the mission field are, are even more so. So I remember like we had we had one um, we had one synod, basically, where uh, one of our leaders, so one of our missionaries walking along and, you know, he was he was holding his back and rubbing his legs. It was obvious he was in a lot of pain. And so the leader just assumed he'd been beaten. He says, oh, he said, brother, he says, come here. He says, let me pray for you. He said, were you beaten? He goes, no, he said, uncle. It's like an Indian term for respect. He said, Uncle, yesterday I had to stand in icy cold waters and baptize 88 people. <laughs> he said, oh, praise the Lord. We'll pray for you. God will heal you. And you go back to your ministry. He said, please do, because tomorrow I have to baptize 133 men. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great problem? That have your incarnation? <laughs> we had one, one priest, and he had planted a really, he'd gone to this area, absolute abject poverty, northern India, and these people, literally, their only way to make a living was to send their children into the city to beg, and that's how they—that's how they got food for themselves. And he, you know, um, he got a church there, got 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 a way for them to make income for themselves, and basically not only turned these people's lives around as far as salvation, but you know, just their whole livelihood changed, their whole world changed because of Jesus. And we asked them, they said, okay, we want you to leave there and go to this other place. And he loved his people. He loved his church. You know, he planted two churches in that area very similar circumstances, and he didn't want to go. And he basically was on the verge of quitting. And our leader, who was, you know, said, "Hey, you you need to just just go here and just see what happened, what the Lord does." So he goes to this village. He says, and I, I got to visit this village, and it's just this super poor place. I mean, it was it was known as the uh, people known as the Dalits. I don't know if you heard of the Dalits, but in in hinduism there's a caste system and and you know there's the brahmin on the top but then but then there's a the, at the bottom there's something below the bottom of the caste system it's like social classes and below the bottom of of these social classes are the people known as the dalits they're considered subhuman like they're not you know worth and imagine a, a slavery that's so powerful you don't need any chains to enforce it that the people themselves have bought into that slavery that that they live out these chains day by day. And so this place was an absolute pit. Like the houses weren't, uh, you know, there's open sewers running through uh, the place. The houses weren't finished. Um, because like, like literally the, the husbands, the father's thoughts were, well, my, fa- my wife, my children, they're just like cattle. So what's the point like, of finishing the house if they get rained on a big deal? Mm-hmm. Like that kind of dysfunctional way of thinking. And um, Father Hubert goes into this village and he sees the desperate plight of these people. He gets some water filters in there because like, their only source of water was a river about as wide as maybe two of these pews and just filthy, brown, nasty river. And then got a, a well dug there, started a, a, a what we call Bridge of Hope Center for their children to help their children get access to education, things along those lines. But he started praying for people and, and casting out demons and people started getting healed. And one of the, the people that came to get healed, or, um, or came to believe in Christ, was the wife of one of, a, of, a, of one of the members of this gang that lived in this village. They, a group, they refer to him as Guntas. And, um, and she comes home to her husband. And her husband's like looking at her like, what in the world happened to you? And finally he asks her, he says, you're like so different, like what happened? And she goes, I got a new heart. And he said, well, how did you get a new heart? She said, well, Jesus gave me a new heart. So, well, can Jesus give me a new heart? She said, yeah. She said, come, come to the missionary, and he'll tell you all about Jesus and how Jesus can give you a new heart. So he goes. The guy, uh, our Father Hubert shares the gospel with him. He believes in Jesus. And he says, you know, you need to go to your buddies in jail and share with them about what Jesus did for you. So he goes, literally the same thing, In they're like, whoa, you are different. Like, what happened to you? And he's like, I got a new heart. And like, well, how did you get a new heart? Well, Jesus gave me a new heart. And they're like, well, can we get new hearts, too? And he's like, sure, let me bring the priest in, and he'll tell you all about it. Goes in there, and literally almost the entire village came to know the Lord. When I got there, there was two people left. They were both demon-possessed that hadn't believed in Christ. And um, it was funny, because Father Hebert's like, here, you pray for them. Okay, so she, has a, she has a demon of divination, and it, she can actually tell the future, so she doesn't want to give it, give it up. But maybe if you pray for her, you you know, here, you, go ahead, you cast it out. <laughs> okay, great, I'll do that. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, I mean, just the village completely transformed. You know, so the people, for the first time in, in the history, not just in their lives, but in the history of their people since time began, they're hearing that there's a God who loves them, and they have worth and value. And shoot, the village gets cleaned up, houses get finished, it's funny, there's actually Bible verses and Happy Christmas painted on the sides of the buildings and everything like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was the, the trans- transformation was so radical that the other villages around them saw like, whoa, what happened here? Mm-hmm. And so they literally, a village leader comes and to the other village and said, well, how did you change your village? And they we didn't, I didn't change it, Jesus did.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and the, the priest, Father Hubert, he can tell you all about that. <laughs> and literally, like, five village, surrounding villages um, basically end up entirely coming to Christ around him. And when I was there, I was with the, the vicar general of the diocese. Basically, it was the, you know, the, the leader of the diocese. He's not the bishop. And, uh, and, and a, another village leader found out that the vicar general was going to be there. And so he was thinking, if I'm ever going to get a missionary in my village, this is the guy who's going to make that possible. So he came. I literally saw this happen with my own eyes. This village leader gets down on his knees in front of, uh, um, and, and before Father... Is um, it Eddie? I can't remember his name. Sorry. Um, anyway, before our vicar general, and literally begs for a missionary. Literally begs. And... Uh, Reggie, Father Reggie looks at him and says sorry we can't we don't have any more to send you you have to wait God is just pouring out his spirit but he's looking for more vessels mm-hmm. he's looking for people who will lay down their lives you know today we look around and, and like everything's you know it's just falling apart mm-hmm. but this is the best time to be a Christian
2: mm-hmm.
1: this we have the answers we have what God is looking for, and it's Jesus Christ. But the question is, are we going to take our two mites, and are we going to put them in the offering? Mm-hmm. Are we going to pay that price? And for some of us, it's going to be different things. So, you know, for some of you, that might mean, you know, just you just actually come to church every Sunday. I don't know. There might be an addiction you have, and you've got to give that to Jesus. That, that's keeping you from giving your whole life to him. You know, maybe there's something between you and your spouse. Maybe it's an aspect of forgiveness, and you won't give it to Jesus. And it's keeping you from living your life entirely for him. Maybe some of you, you you, you have this guilt you're carrying around. There's something you did, and you don't believe Jesus will forgive you. And you just won't give it to him. But for some of us, you know, it's, it's a bigger question. Is Jesus calling you to, to live for Him entirely? And that doesn't necessarily mean being, you know, becoming a clergy. Maybe it does. You know, uh, congratulations, Morgan, by the way. Morgan got ordained as a deacon. I hope Ooh. I'm not ruining of congratulations. Um, so, congratulate him on his demotion. You know, he's, <laughs> he's more of a servant. And he's lower on the, the Christian food chain, if you will. But uh, but for for many of us, it's you know, maybe you're an IT person or a web person. Those are actually the skills that are needed in missions today. You know, in our, in our situation, you know, we're just chomping at the bit to get the word. we got so many ways, that, like in our U.S. office, that we want to get the ways out, get the word out to the Western Church. But we can't. Because we've got all these things stacking up because we're short on IT and web people. You know, uh, Michelle, uh, my wife, she's, a, she's our lead writer, and... We're we're short by about I don't know three writers maybe and two co- two editors and whatever else and I mean like every single department we have I mean Jesus of the harvest is plentiful and the labor is few mm. and that's true everywhere in the mission world right now that's true in almost every church and so I want to encourage you you know to um, to consider however you know that is maybe it's, it means you volunteer here that's what that's what the Lord's asking you um, and um, you know. But whatever your offering is, I want to encourage you, give it all. Mm. Give it all to Jesus. Be like that widow uh-huh. with Elijah. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid, because whatever the Lord asks you, he will repay it. Yeah. And I, you know, I personally don't know of anybody who's, who's been obedient in sacrificing something to Jesus who doesn't have a testimony of Jesus being faithful. And responsible. That's, right. That's right. And so I want to encourage you to do that. And, and I, I'm going to... I didn't ask Taylor about this, but I want to encourage you. You know, if you're at that plate, we're going to pass the offering around uh, today. Is there an offering? Do you Mm guys have an offering? Mm -hmm. So when the basket goes around, you know, consider doing this because the idea with the offering, like in our church, you're you're encouraged to give something every Sunday because the idea isn't to to give to fund the church, but it's an act of worship. One of the ways you worship is to give, of your, and the idea is that you are giving of yourself every time you put something in that basket. I want to encourage you, maybe what you, to do is, if you want to give yourself to the Lord today, in some, however he's going to call you, maybe you don't know what that is. I want to encourage you, maybe, you know, find a piece of paper, write your name on that piece of paper, and put it in. Maybe there's an issue in your life that you, nobody else knows about, or you just can't give up. You can't offer that to the Lord. I want to encourage you, write that on a piece of paper. You don't have to put your name on it if you don't want, and put it in the offering, Mm -hmm. And ask, you know, the Lord to to minister in that. Um, I'm out of time, but uh, I want to encourage you, I brought some world maps. um, And the reason why is I want to encourage you, will will you please, as, as one of the things, will you make a life of prayer a significant part of your walk with the Lord? Like As I mentioned, 80,000 people are dying every day without the gospel. Two billion people on planet Earth still have not known. Will you get a reminder of you know, somehow in your home that your life is not about you, but your life is about helping the world to know the good news of Jesus Christ and that the world is waiting? And begin to pray every single day for people who never heard, You know, maybe during your, your family prayer time or at dinner or something like that. And then um, I have two books. One is Revolution World Missions. This book is the reason I'm in missions today. Basically, it's, a, it's kind of the autobiography of our founder in a way. You follow him as he goes from the least significant person in a village, small Indian village that nobody thought anybody would do anything with, like God, nobody could do or God couldn't do anything with, to actually being the leader of one of the most uh, rapidly growing um, Christian movements in the world. Right now, we're seeing over 10 churches planted every single day in places previously on the mm-hmm. the gospel. And so it's, it's a powerful story. Um, I always encourage people, just read the first three chapters, and if you can put it down, go ahead. Um, it's absolutely free. Uh, we got some back in the fellowship hall. Michelle will be back um, out that way if, you, if, that's, if that's your path. But it's absolutely free. We just ask, if you pick one up, just re- read the first three chapters. <laughs> um, and then another book is Road to Reality. Maybe you're at that place where you said, hey, I, I, I know I want to give my life, but how do I actually do that? How do I live out day by day? putting my two mites in the the offering every single day. For me, Road to Reality is the best book I've ever read on that. It'll start with your heart and walk through your life and show you each day how you can give your life entirely uh, to Christ, just like he gave it to us. And, um, and, you know, as I mentioned, um, we're looking for all kinds of staff. We're looking for anybody who's just dumb enough to 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 serve the Lord, and uh, and so we have you know if you're interested in that or just remotely you know let us pray with you and go through the discernment process with you and you know and um, but there's there's some leaflets we have on the table in the in the fellowship time the coffee hour um, time you can fill out and and uh, we can begin praying with you about if the Lord might be calling you to do that but my brothers and sisters I just really want to encourage you you know you can probably tell. Um, this reality of 80,000 people dying today is very real to me. Mm-hmm. And it's very real to the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. And I just want to encourage you. Our time on this planet is so short. Mm-hmm. Each one of us. Whatever the Lord's called you to do, don't delay. Don't wait. Just obey. Trust him. I, don't worry about the details. Mm-hmm. But whatever that next step is, I want to encourage you to take it. He is faithful. He will be faithful to you, and you won't regret it. Mm-hmm. Can we pray? Mm-hmm. Well, Father, we um, we just stand before you and just say, Lord, you are worthy. Lord, there's nothing we can give to you that would outgive what you've given to us and what you continually do in our lives. And Lord, we just um, declare that we trust you. Lord, I think of the, the man who came to Jesus said, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, uh, in those areas where we struggle to believe and trust that we can give you everything. Lord, we just acknowledge that and just say, please help our unbelief. And, Lord, I pray for all my brothers and sisters, Lord, that when we, each of us, stand before you, Lord, I, I ask that we would hear, well done, good and faithful sermon.
2: Help us to be your servant.